Uh, this morning, um, as we start the new year, I had a couple of different thoughts bouncing around in my mind, but I'd like to focus on something um, really simple, and, and yet it's essential. Uh, there's a lot of things in the Christian life that, that are simple things, and yet they're essential if we are to be making a positive progress in our spiritual lives and walking closely to Jesus. Okay, we need to be reading our Bible. Uh, we need to be praying. We need to be meditating on scriptures. We need to be in church. We need to be sharing the gospel. And we need to be confessing our sin. Okay, that there, there, sorry, there are some basic things that we need to be doing if we are to be making positive progress in our spiritual walk uh, with Jesus. Okay, so what should we do when we sin as a Christian? You know, as Christians, we've been saved from uh, the penalty of sin. Okay, that's our justification. Uh, we have been declared not guilty and positively righteous because of Christ. We can say amen to that. That is a wonderful truth. And yet, despite being justified, we still feel the effects of sin. We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with the flesh on a daily basis. And this battle will continue until we are glorified. And in light of that, the question is, what are we to do when we sin until the time that we're glorified? What does the Bible tell us to do? Okay, how do we deal with sin? It is this that I'd like to turn our attention towards in our time together. So if you haven't already, could you please open to 1 John chapter 1. And the verse we'll be focusing on is one that's well known. Okay, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In our time together, we're going to consider the confessing Christian. Okay, so with that said, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you that we can gather today to worship you. You're a great God, a God who is most worthy of our worship. And now as we come to your word, please help us to be still. Please remove all the distractions and hindrances of life. Help us to be focused right now on your word. We pray the Holy Spirit would help us to understand it. And please grant to us the grace to make any changes that may be required in our life. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, admitting when you are wrong, uh, sincerely apologizing, and not making excuses to justify your actions or attitudes and accepting the consequences, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? This is something that doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, I'm trying to teach this to my children at the moment, and it's proving quite difficult. And that's not surprising because I'm 32 and I still find it difficult. Okay, why do we find it difficult? Well, pride stubbornly clings to us like the barnacles on the bottom of a ship. And if we're honest, we often struggle with this in our relationships, being willing to humble ourselves, admit that we have done wrong and seek forgiveness, but seek forgiveness without offering excuses or justifications. I think often we can be, you know, Emma, I'm sorry, but you must understand work is so busy and I'm stressed out. Okay, that's not a genuine apology. That's just making excuses. And you know how often we struggle with this, whether it be with one's spouse or with one's children, with our family or with our friends. Have you ever found yourself knowing that you need to apologize? Okay, you know, you've been convicted by the Spirit. You know you need to do this. And yet you try everything to suppress that urge. It's like, I do not want to do this. I, I don't want to have this conversation. And you have to like give yourself a prep talk to hype yourself up to do it have you ever felt that 
maybe it's just me. But, you know, I, I don't think this comes naturally to us. When, and when we refuse to admit and deal with the wrong that we've done and the hurt attached to it, it's destructive to the health of our relationships. Okay, this releases a virus into that particular relationship, and if it's left untreated, it will be deadly to that relationship. You know, being willing to confess and seek forgiveness is the remedy to the virus, and it's essential if we are to have happy and healthy relationships. And uh, this isn't the point of the message, but if you think, hey, my relationships aren't that happy and healthy, I would recommend have a look at this area. You know, are there some things where I haven't dealt with it well? I haven't apologized. I haven't sought forgiveness. But it's not in these interpersonal relationships that I would like to focus. Because a willingness to admit that one is wrong and seek forgiveness, yes, it's important in our human relationships, but it's even more important in our relationship with God. You know, we as Christians should be in the regular habit of confessing our sin. Because with God, understand that unconfessed sin, that is a virus that wreaks havoc and will have all kinds of negative impacts on your walk with the Lord. Now, if right now, if you were to conduct an audit on your spiritual life, okay, have, have a spiritual health checkup, if you like, and you think, well, you know, I, I don't feel as close to Jesus as I once did. Uh, the Bible isn't speaking to me like it once did. And... Things feel a bit barren, a bit dry. It's a bit like a desert. There seems to be a distance. Uh, the preaching of God's word has very little impact. Uh, the power of the spirit, it's not really experienced in my life. Okay, if these are some of the symptoms that you are experiencing, it would be wise to begin to search for unconfessed sin. Now, it could well be another cause. This is not the only cause, but it's a likely one. Okay, it's likely that there's sin in your life that hasn't been dealt with. You're clinging to it instead of confessing it. Okay, the virus is raging within and understand confession is the medicine. Christians need to be confessors. You know, an interesting hermeneutical consideration of the verse before us okay, is this. This word confess, it's not actually a command. Okay, it's not an imperative, but rather it's a statement. And what that means is that this is an expected part of the believer's life. That the Apostle John, as he writes to believers, he assumes that they will be confessing sin. This is something that should characterize us as Christians. And the term here is in the present tense. Now, what that tells us is that this is a continuous action. So when we speak of confessing sin in the life of the Christian... It's not just a once-off confession at conversion. Okay? At conversion, we do need to acknowledge our sin. That's a key part of coming to Christ. But it doesn't stop there. But rather, this is to be a regular and habitual practice in our life. Okay? We, we could say that we need to confess as much as we sin. Okay? We need to confess as much as we sin. Okay? If we sin every day, which I'd like to suggest that's what the evidence says then we should be confessing sin every day. And that's not only taught here in 1 John 1, 9. It's taught in numerous other places in the scriptures. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, what did Jesus teach his disciples? Father, forgive us. Okay, we need God's forgiveness. 
Okay, so this is an essential spiritual discipline in our life. And it's perilous if we neglect it. So in understanding that Christians are to be confessing, and that the ramifications are severe if we fail to do it, let's endeavor to understand a little deeper this vital component of the Christian life. I want to do this by asking three very simple questions. Why is it necessary to confess? How are we to confess? And what happens when we confess? So why, how, what? And so this will help us to develop in this essential practice in the life of the Christian. So question number one, why is it necessary to confess? Okay, why is it necessary? You know, one of the glorious gifts of the gospel, okay, that, that we receive by grace through Christ is forgiveness of sin. Okay? And, and this is a wonderful reality. Okay, all who repent and believe in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ receives this complete and comprehensive forgiveness. Think about that. All of our sin, past, present, and future, it has been forgiven. All defilement, guilt, punishment has been removed. My friend, this is one of the many reasons why it's so wonderful to be a Christian. Okay, allow that to sink in. Meditate on this reality that, that despite being utterly unworthy and undeserving because of Jesus, complete and comprehensive forgiveness is ours. That's why the gospel is such good news. And I will say that if you are not a Christian, okay, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal savior, understand you can experience this. Don't you want to experience forgiveness? All the sin that you have committed in your life, all the sin that is still to come, it can be forgiven. You, you can be cleansed. You can have that guilt removed. You no longer need to fear God's judgments. That can all be yours if you will come to Christ in repentance and faith as your savior. You, you can experience this. But for those of us who are Christians, this is the reality. We have experienced forgiveness. We have experienced cleansing from sin. Okay, so this is the reality. And perhaps you can see the tension. Okay, this is the reality. We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. And yet, we're told to confess our sins in order to be forgiven. Okay, how do we reconcile this? If we have been totally forgiven, which Ephesians 1.7 tells us we have been because of the shed blood of Christ, as does Psalm 32, as does Romans 4, why then are we as Christians instructed to confess our sins? Okay, if we have been forgiven, why confess? Well, we must recognize that divine forgiveness consists of two interrelated parts. There's the judicial aspect and there's the paternal aspect. So we could say the judge and the father. So judicial forgiveness, as the term suggests, this is a legal term. And this forgiveness occurs at conversion. And this forgiveness is complete. It's irrevocable. It's at this point where all of our sin, past, present, and future, whether we confess it or not, okay, so please hear that carefully, whether we confess it or not, it has been forgiven judicially. That that happens at conversion. That that's what we refer to as justification. 
We've been declared not guilty and positively righteous in the heavenly courtroom. So in a legal sense, we're completely forgiven. The slate has been washed clean by Christ. There's no condemnation. And that's a settled reality. Nothing can change that. Nothing can alter that. Nothing can take that away because of the finished work of Christ. So that's judicial forgiveness. Then the second kind of forgiveness is what we could call paternal forgiveness. And as the name suggests, okay, that's the forgiveness of a father rather than a judge. And this particular forgiveness is necessary to maintain fellowship or to maintain the quality of the relationship. So understand it's not the relationship itself in question. That cannot be lost but rather our heavenly father is grieved. He is displeased when we as his children sin. And hence the quality or the closeness of the relationship is not what it could be. You know, it's just like when a child sins toward their parents. Okay, when my kids do the wrong thing, they don't cease to be my children. Okay, I don't cease to be their dad. That's a settled reality, but it hinders fellowship. It momentarily hinders the closeness and the sweetness that's normally there in the relationship. And this is the same with God. Our sin ruins the fellowship. Our walk isn't as close. We won't be led by the spirits. The Bible won't seem to speak to us clearly. So sin builds up all of these barriers between us and God. And confession is the dynamite that blasts those barriers down. So judicial and paternal forgiveness, these are the two types. And they're harmonized together beautifully in John chapter 13. And it would be good if you could turn there, please. John chapter 13. Okay, in John 13, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room and they're reclined around the table. And nobody has provided the common courtesy of any social gathering at that time. And that was the washing of feet. Okay, the feet hadn't been washed. There was apparently no servant available to do it. And none of the disciples volunteered to perform the lowest duty. And it's at this time that the impeccable humility of Christ is again displayed. Okay, keep this in mind. He's the God man and he stoops down to do the lowest of tasks. Okay. And, and we need to remember the example of Jesus here. So often we think, I'm not going to do that. That's below me. Well, well, hang on. If Jesus would wash feet, is anything below us? Okay. I think that's a good thing for us to keep in mind as we serve the Lord. Now let's have a look at the humility of Christ. Verses 4 and 5, it says, He, that's Jesus, riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Okay, so here is Jesus and his washing dirty feet. It's not a very nice thought. And this is the most uh, menial of all tasks reserved for the lowest servants. Now at this time they wore sandals. The roads were dusty or muddy. And when you would recline at a banquet, your feet would be washed. And here Jesus performs the role of the servant and it provides an illustration of these two different types of forgiveness that I've been speaking about. 
So listen to the exchange between Jesus and Peter. Okay, verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? So Peter knew this was ridiculous. Why is Jesus washing my feet? It should be the other way around. Verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Okay, so again, typical Peter, you've got to love him. He just says it how it is. And right here, he's audacious enough to issue a command to Jesus. Okay, think about that. He's telling God what to do. Jesus replies in verse 8, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And no doubt that hit Peter very hard. Okay, he replies, okay, if this is the case, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Okay. So, so he, Peter, he wanted everything to be washed because he wants the relationship with Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. So, Lord, not just my feet, wash everything. And then Jesus replies, and here's the illustration, verse 10. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every wit, and ye are clean, but not all. Okay, so, so the, there's an analogy employed here, and the analogy is having a bath. Okay, Peter had taken the appropriate bath before he came. He didn't need his whole body to be cleaned. He didn't have to be, you know, fully soaked and soaked. He had just accumulated some dirt on his feet. So bathing illustrated one kind of forgiveness. Okay, it illustrates the judicial forgiveness of justification. So Peter, he had already been justified. He had already been declared not guilty. He's free from the penalty of sin. He was saved. So there was no need for another bath because he's already clean. And this is the same for all believers. We have been forgiven. We're justified. Okay, we're being cleansed. That's a settled reality. It cannot be altered. It cannot be taken away. Okay, we're eternally secure in Christ. But the washing of the feet here illustrates the fatherly forgiveness of sanctification. Peter didn't need a whole bath. He just needed his feet cleaned. And this is what we need. Okay, we've been saved. We've been justified. We've been forgiven. That's our standing. But in our sanctification, we constantly need to be washed from the presence and power of sin. And it's in that sanctifying sense, paternal forgiveness is necessary. Okay, thus, John tells us that we must confess our sin. And to employ the same illustration, okay, that is to wash our feet. Okay, so we as Christians are to be confessing our sin. Not so that we can pardon the angry judge, because that's been permanently dealt with by Christ, but rather it's seeking mercy from a grieved father. So we must understand that our sin causes the relationship that we possess in Christ to not be as close, not to be as intimate as it possibly could be. The biblical term is fellowship. Okay, so it hinders our fellowship with the Lord. And that's actually the whole context of John chapter 1. And we also see it elsewhere in the scriptures. Okay, what's the primary way that we communicate with God? Okay, we communicate with God through prayer. And what does the psalmist say? Okay, the psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart. So in other words, if I cling to the sin, if I don't confess the sin, if I keep living in it, what happens? The Lord will not hear me. Okay, so that affects the fellowship. It affects the relationship, the closeness. 
And I do wonder how often we're not as close to Jesus as we could be, as we ought to be, because we're not confessing our sin. We're not dealing with it. And maybe that describes where you are at right now. But here's the thing. Sin need not to remain a hindrance to our fellowship. Okay, all we need to do is confess. So confession is vital in maintaining our fellowship with the Lord. This is why it's necessary. Because without it, our spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus will be dry and distant. So understanding its necessity, how are we to do it? And this leads to the second question, how are we to confess? Yeah, if, if it is as necessary as I've argued, we need to know how to do it. Now to understand the how dynamic, let's start with a definition. So we must understand that the biblical concept of confessing is more than just saying sorry. And furthermore, it's not just a general acknowledgement that we possess a sin nature and hence sin. Okay, it's more specific. So literally, it means to say the same thing. Okay, confession is to say the same thing. And in this context, it's to say and think the same thing that God does about the sin. So when it comes to our sin, you know, so often we try and downplay it. We water it down. We endeavor to develop all kinds of detailed excuses trying to explain it away or, or to minimize it. We're all excellent lawyers when it comes to defending ourselves, even when we're wrong. But true confession is not like this at all. Okay, confession is a sincere acknowledgement of sin's reality in one's life and one's culpability for that sin. It willingly affirms that it's a transgression of God's holy law. Okay, we need to remember that when we sin. Okay? It's a violation of God's will. It's a violation of his law. It's against him. Okay? Sin is an affront against God first and foremost. It's incredibly offensive to a holy God. Okay, so sin is not a trivial matter. And when we confess to the Lord, okay, we are to honestly and openly confront the sins that we have committed without offering reasons, excuses, or justifications. We, we come humbly, openly admit the iniquity that we have committed and repent of it. That's true confession. And when you think about it, why do we try and hide it from God? Because he already knows it, does he not? Okay, why, why do we try and excuse it? Why do we try and justify it? God knows our hearts better than we do ourselves. So we need to come before God and honestly and openly confront the sins that we have committed. Now, a couple of important practical points are revealed in the verse before us. Okay, so, so we have seen that confession is a lot more profound than just, you know, I'm sorry and, and move on. But it's saying and thinking the same that God says and thinks about our sin. Now, I want to draw your attention to the specific nature of confession. Okay, notice in this verse that the word okay, sin, it's not in the singular, but it's in the plural. Okay, confess our sins. And this tells us that our confession is not just to be a general admission of sin, 
but it's to be specific. So it's not just, Lord, I've sinned, forgive me, move on. Okay, it's, it's not just this general acknowledgement, Lord, I, I admit that I've done lots of wrong things. Sure, there may be a place for that, but usually confession is a lot more particular. Okay, so, so the idea is this, Lord, today I told a lie to my next door neighbor, please forgive me for that, that was wrong. Lord, when I was down the street today, I took the second look at that lady and I had lustful thoughts. Please forgive me for that. Lord, today I participated in that gossiping conversation. That was wrong. Please forgive me for that. Okay, that's more of the biblical concept. It's dealing with sin specifically, not generally. And also, as mentioned previously, confess is in the present tense, meaning this is to be a continuous action. Okay? This is something that we ought to be doing all the time, not just once or not just here and there, but rather it's to be a regular and constant habit. Okay? It's to be as regular as we sin. Okay? However often you sin, that's how regular you should confess. So we need to be confessing Christians. You know, as, as a kid, I remember Pastor Davis would always say, keep short accounts with God. It's always stuck in my head. Keep a short account with God. So we will sin. Okay? We, we still have sin within us. Okay? We still struggle with the flesh. But we need to deal with it instantly. Come to the Lord openly and sincerely. Acknowledge and admit your sin. Repent of it. Okay? Don't allow it to remain undealt with. Don't allow the virus to go unmedicated. We need to confess it. And when we do sincerely confess, the benefits are great. And, it, and this leads into the third question. What happens when we confess? You know, our most spectacular promise is recorded in this verse. And this should motivate you and I to deal with our sin instantly. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know, sometimes we can be hesitant to confess and seek forgiveness in our human relationships because we don't know how the other party will respond. You know, have you ever felt that? So I know I need to deal with this, but I'm not sure the person is going to respond well. Okay, if I try and, you know, raise this, I don't even know if they'll forgive me. They'll probably just get angry and snap my head off just like last time. Okay, it didn't go well, so I don't think I'll do it again. Okay, that can make it very hard. Okay, we're not sure how they'll respond. And it would be difficult to be a confessing Christian if God might forgive. Okay, if God's in a good mood, he will grant me forgiveness. But if he's in a bad mood, he might not. Or if, yeah, God will forgive me, but I need to do all of this stuff first in order to earn his forgiveness. Or God will extend it once I've proven myself. I haven't committed this sin for three months, then he will Grant me forgiveness. Okay, imagine that if there were certain requirements in order to ensure forgiveness. That would make confessing extremely challenging. But the glorious promise in this verse is that when we confess sincerely, God will forgive and God will cleanse us. And my friend, that is a wonderful promise. If we sincerely confess, we will be forgiven. Okay, there's no condition apart from confessing itself. And if we do this, forgiveness will be ours. The sin will no longer be between us and God. That fellowship barrier will be blasted away, will be clean from the pollution and defilement of our sin. That the fellowship with God, it will be restored. That's the promise. 
Now, this is not because there is some kind of magical power in our confession, but rather it's the blood of Jesus Christ that is the cleansing agent, not our confession. But the confession makes possible the application of the divine cleansing from the blood of Christ. So forgiveness and cleansing, this is what is promised when we confess. And God's promise to respond favorably to our confession, it's assured by his nature. Okay, you, you and I can make promises, but we can break them. God makes promises and he can't break them because they're assured by his nature. Okay, we're told in the text that God is faithful. That means he's reliable, he's consistent, he's dependable. We can trust him to do what he says and do what is right because that's who he is. And we're also told that God is just. Okay, and that too is important. Okay, since Jesus Christ has fully atoned for our sin, God is bound by his righteousness to forgive all who repent and confess of sin. He owes that to Jesus. Okay, so, so this promise is assured because of who God is. And this is God's promise to you. Confess your sin, whatever it may be, confess it, and he will forgive it. And the fellowship with him, that the relationship will be restored. The barriers will be removed. This is God's promise to you. Now, a clarification uh, is required because there are some misunderstandings when it comes to confessing and God's promise of forgiveness. And I'd like to share with you two common misconceptions. Number one, this promise doesn't give a license to sin. You know, some will say and some will think, well, hey, Jesus will forgive me. So who cares what I do? Okay, I'll just do it, enjoy myself, then I'll confess. And who cares? Forgiveness is guaranteed. But my friend, that is a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. That's, that's a gross misunderstanding of what Christ has done on the cross for you. Okay, that, that type of thinking is alarming. And if you were constantly thinking like that, I would be very concerned. It was rebuked by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. Okay, shall we continue in sin that grace abound? God forbid. Very strong language. God forbid. Confession does not give you and I some free pass to just do as we please. Okay, we must get that. That's not the message of the gospel. The true Christian... Okay, one who is genuinely converted will desire to live a holy life. We will be striving for personal holiness. And they will confess when they falter. So confession does not give us a free pass to do as we please. That's the first misconception. And the second misconception, confession doesn't annul consequences. Okay, confession doesn't annul consequences. Sin has many consequences. And if you've lived for, let's say, longer than 10 years, you probably understand that very, very clearly. Sin has many consequences. And confession doesn't necessarily do away with all of those consequences. Okay, we must understand that just because we have confessed the sin, it doesn't mean that God will remove 
all of the costly effects and impacts of your sinful actions and attitudes in your life. Okay, often we will live with the consequences of our sin for the rest of our lives. And that is actually a good gift from God because it's meant to serve as a reminder to not go back into the sin. You know, a couple of illustrations. You can confess to speeding, okay? Driving home today, police officer pulls you over. Yes, officer, I was speeding. Well done, I won't give you a fine. No, that's not how it works, okay? You've confessed to speeding. Guess what? You're still going to get the fine. Okay, you commit some horrible crime. You commit murder. You go to court, judge, I killed that person. Well done, Brendan. You can go. Thank you for confessing. No, that's not how it works. Okay? I'm still going to jail. Okay? The consequence isn't removed. Okay, let's bring it closer to home. You've treated your spouse horribly for a long period of time, and then you had this realization, you know, darling, I'm sorry. I've treated you horribly for the last 10 years. Well, guess what? It's, all those consequences of the last 10 years aren't just magically removed like this. Okay? And that's the same with any sin. Okay, confession doesn't remove consequences. And again, that should act as a powerful motivation to avoid sin by God's grace. Okay, the old saying, you can choose your sin, but you don't get to choose your consequences. Okay, confession is not some magic remedy that removes all the consequences. God can forgive us, and yet there still be consequences in this life for the decisions that we have made. So with those two important clarifications made, we arrive at the message for us today. Christians are to confess their sin. This is how we deal with sin, we're to confess it. This is to characterize who we are. And again, think about it. As Christians, we should desire to be in fellowship with God. Okay? We should want to be close to him. And hence, anything that hinders that, anything that drives a wedge between us and God, man, that should concern us. We should want to get rid of that. Okay, we should desire to be close to God and enjoy God, be delighting in him. And hence, we should confess our sin instantly and constantly because we don't want anything to hinder our walk with God. Okay, so that's the motive behind it all. And we can do this confidently, knowing that our gracious God will forgive. So Christian... Perhaps your walk with Jesus is not what it once was. You aren't that close to the Lord right now. Your, your Bible reading is lacking or it's not that fruitful. Prayer feels useless. Sitting here listening to preaching, you find you get nothing out of it. Okay, these are varying symptoms of spiritual decline. And may I suggest that with God's help, you start developing a habit of confessing your sin. Dealing with it. This is a very good place to start. Okay, right now. Pray to the Lord honestly. Please reveal the sin in my life that I'm clinging to and I'm refusing to deal with it. And that's one of those prayers that God always seems to answer and often quite quickly. Lord, is there anything in my life that, that I am clinging to that, that I'm not dealing with? Or, or maybe you know what it is. You know. It's so obvious, but, but you're not dealing with it my friend confess it make it right so these fellowship barriers can be blasted away okay stop allowing that sin to hinder your walk with the lord okay we need to remember that 
we have to confess as much as we sin. And if we sin every day, we need to be confessing every day. If we sin every hour, which I think we can make a good case for that, we should be confessing every hour. Keep short accounts with God. Settle them daily. Settle them instantly if possible. Get into the habit. Okay, when you do the wrong thing, bang, deal with it. You don't have to pray it aloud, okay? You, you tell a lie, you realize, Lord, I just lied. I'm sorry, that was wrong. Please forgive me. And then you'll probably have to go back to that person and deal with it as well, okay? But deal with it instantly. This needs to be our habit. And this is how we continue to walk closely with the Lord. And here's the wonderful thing. As we confess, okay, as we sincerely confess, it's forgiven. That's what God promises. And don't allow the wicked one to then keep dredging all of this stuff up from the past. Don't allow him to use it against you. Don't allow him to use that to disrupt your fellowship and peace with God because they have been forgiven. Okay, they've been forgiven judicially in Christ. That, that's settled. And if you've confessed it, it has also been forgiven in that paternal sense. Don't allow the wicked one to keep dredging all of this up and having negative impacts on you. And, you know, may the Lord help each of us throughout the rest of this day, throughout tomorrow, throughout this week, to be in the habit of confessing our sin, because that is what it means to be a Christian. Christians will be confessors because we don't want anything to hinder our walk with the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for your word. And uh, this is a very uh, simple truth, one that no doubt we're very familiar with. And yet, I, I know it's very easy for us uh, to not uh, confess our sin. And the consequences of that um, are very major. Lord, we want to be close to you. We, we want to be walking with you. We want to be enjoying you. We want to be delighting in you. And sin robs us uh, of all of this. Uh, so, Lord, I, I do... Uh, you know, pray for, for some here this morning. No doubt there, there are some very obvious uh, things in their life that they need to get right. I pray right now the Holy Spirit would be really poking at those things and they would make it right today. And uh, please help uh, each and every one of us throughout this week uh, to keep short accounts with you. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.